let me say a prayer before we talk about prayer. God, our Father, come into this space. Guide our hearts and our minds. Sometimes you feel very distant. This morning, let that not be the case. Be present with us. Amen. So I noticed on November 1st, the day after Halloween, I was watching TV, I noticed Christmas commercials started appearing. And maybe they started appearing before then. But literally November 1st, that afternoon, there was like three or four Christmas commercials in a row. Now, of course, a Christmas commercial is if you buy something, then Christmas will be good. And so it was a Target and two car commercials as if like you can't have snow and happiness without a new car. And for some of you, you you might not be able to. But the the description is there, right? The image is there. Christmas is on us, even though we're months it seems like, uh, in advance when it starts. But what ends up happening if you have kids who are like elementary school age, once they've figured out how this whole thing works, they will give you a list. They will write a Christmas list because they, they know how these things work and because they trust you. And you actually love a kid's Christmas list, especially when they're of a certain age, because you love the kid. You want to give them good gifts. Christmas morning in many families is an incredibly warm experience. Kindness, joy, belonging. As you share that time together, even as kids are just tearing apart gifts. And so you look forward to that as a parent. But do you look forward to going to Target or Toys R Us? It's a totally different experience. It's a business interaction, not a family experience. A company sells goods or services, you get something because you pay for it, right? That's how it works in a business. And you expect something because you've been given something. And you give, you've been given something because you've, you've paid for it, right? Like, so you're like, all right, I've paid for this. I should get something out of this. Basically, a business relationship is transactional, and it's very different than a family experience. The problem that I see is that many of us Approach God in prayer like a business transaction instead of like a family experience and relationship. In Luke 11, one of the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And in the midst of this whole description of relationship, I think there's three things that Jesus teaches us as he's talking about the Lord's Prayer, two parables and an imperative in there. It's that prayer is first bold and persistent, second it is dependent and trusting, And third, it is relational and personal. We'll just use that to guide us this morning as we look at this passage in Luke chapter 11. So the first thing is, prayer is bold and persistent. Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8, about a friend who has somebody traveling at night who comes for a visit. And so basically the story goes like this. A certain man had a, had a visitor arrive at his house in the middle of the night. And as you're supposed to do in that ancient Middle Eastern world, you're supposed to provide a, a place for them to stay as well as food for them. They've been on a long journey. You didn't have gas stations, 7-Elevens. You didn't have hotels. So the friend arrives, and he has nothing for him. He goes next door to his neighbor, knocks on his neighbor's house, knowing he will wake up the neighbor and his entire family, saying, I need some bread. I have nothing to give my friend. Now, in that ancient Near Eastern world, hospitality was incredibly important. 
You were obliged to provide it, but a neighbor was obliged to help the friend. It was the honorable thing to do, and you had a relationship with this neighbor. Jesus is saying, look, even if the obligation of honor in our culture, and even if the friendship is not enough, the neighbor will give the bread because of the impudence of the man, because of his bold persistence. Jesus is saying, God is a good God. Be bold and persistent with him. How do you know what a true friend is? I've heard sort of a, it's not really a good analogy for a Sunday morning, but the analogy of you can tell who your good friend is because it's this. It's in the middle of the night, you have a body to bury. Who do you call? (laughs) Jesus is saying, in the middle of the night when you have a body to bury, call God. Now, don't actually let that be the thing that you're ever doing. (laughs) Why do we lack boldness in our prayer? The kind of boldness that would knock in the middle of the night, if you would? Some of us don't want to bother God with the small stuff. And there's a false understanding of God that he's only concerned about big things and your life is not big enough. Or you want to save up. Like, I don't want to ask him about my day and I'm a little bit stressed out because I want to save it up for like a big thing. Like cancer, right? Just save it up. A lot of our lack of boldness is because we don't understand the nature of God. Jesus says, look, this God says, ask, seek, knock. Verses 9 and 10, he says, look, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Jesus is saying, go to God with everything, for everything, in every situation. God wants you to ask. So how do we do it? Well, this isn't actually really well-placed in the passage, so I'm going to jump out of the passage and for a minute talk about how you begin to pray if you maybe haven't really had a good prayer life. Well, let me take it back. Jesus does actually talk about it. He uses this thing that we now call the Lord's Prayer in Catholic circles, the Our Father, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We say it every week. Now, when Jesus is asked, how do you pray, and he says this, he doesn't just mean I want you to repeat this rote hundreds and hundreds of times, although there is a benefit to having things in your head because you've repeated them hundreds and hundreds of times. But what Jesus is getting at here is the order of prayer and the themes that should be present in your prayer, and they're all there. Adoration and praise of who God is, hallowed be your name. Confession of your sin, rightly putting yourself beneath God. And coming to him with your need. I need bread today, Lord. I need you to deliver me this day, Lord. One modern saint talked about the transformation this prayer had in his life. He said, growing up, we said this prayer in my family, because he grew up in a Christian home, every single morning at the breakfast table. And I thought, oh, that's great. He said, but as he was a teenager, he began to hate the prayer. But sometime in his late 20s, he came back to the Lord's Prayer. And what he found was he, he began to situate his mind on one particular phrase, our Father who art in heaven. Or, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 
And he found himself, he said, in the middle of the night, waking up, almost fixated on one of those phrases, enjoying an hour of prayer built around a phrase, give us this day our daily bread or deliver us from evil, praying through his own life and everyone around him through a phrase. He went on to talk about how he lives in Los Angeles and the traffic is horrible and he finds his mind constantly going back to the simple phrase, our Father who art in heaven. And that it is such a gift in the midst of a sprawling mega city like L.A., stuck in hours of traffic, to recognize there is more to this world than the car on the freeway. There is a God who is in heaven, and there's a bigger universe, and you're a part of it, and he cares about you. Our Father, who art in heaven, gets him home. The Lord's Prayer much like some of the things we do in Anglicanism, is a liturgical prayer. We use it like we do with some of our other prayers on a given Sunday. And there's a reason why I actually came back to Anglicanism. I had for a long time not been near it, wanted nothing to do with all the rote memory. And then I realized that a lot of that memory, all the things that were there being said on a weekly basis, shaped my thinking. Written prayers, liturgy, repetition actually gives you a view of God. When you pray other people's prayers, it's actually what Jesus did because he prayed the Psalms. When you pray through the Psalms or a church that has liturgy or some saint's ancient written prayer or a hymn, it's a way of shaping your prayers around the nature of God and guiding you. And that's okay. If you don't know how to pray, take a written prayer and use that. But prayer is also supposed to be together. That's why we do prayers of the people here. That's why the written prayers are a part of what we do. And actually, there's a bunch of things you can do if you're part of Christ Church Vienna. You could take advantage of prayer during communion and after. We have prayer teams. Or you can email prayer at ChristChurchVienna.com. That prayer at Christ Church Vienna for confidential prayer needs for two weeks. Two people will pray for you. And if you need prayer, somebody, you just let us know, and we'll bring uh, two or three people to come and pray for you for 30 minutes or an hour. We want to enable you to have people pray with you, to not feel like you're alone in it. If you're trying to figure out how to pray, don't be afraid of asking your family or friends or being in a small group, hey, I need prayer. Or if you've never really figured out how to pray, find somebody whose faith you respect and say, how do you pray? And if you're the person who's being asked, don't get all spiritual. Just tell them sort of what you do, how you fall short. It's not a secret. And if you're trying to figure out how to do it alone, let me give you kind of three quick little things you can work on. One is a prayer journal. I know many people like to journal, but even just keeping a list of things you're praying for, and if you go back to it once or twice a week, five times a week, Two others are ways to guide uh, 5, 10, 30 minutes with the Lord in prayer. One, uh, many of you in high school, middle school, have the blue book that Young Life gives out, that Rod Nunez gives out. This is a guide that takes you through an entire year of readings, of written uh, text that people have, prayers, psalms, scripture. And if you're not sure where to go, this is a great way. It's, it's actually designed for uh, high school kids, 
but it's really good for anyone who wants to take advantage of it. We can get you these. And also on your way out, I've uh, printed up about 40 or 50 of these morning and evening prayer guides. So in Anglicanism, Thomas Cramner wanted to take the monastic tradition of daily prayer throughout the hours of the day and put it into the lay people's hands. So he translated these hourly prayers or seasonal prayers into daily life for an average Christian. So if you actually pick up one of these on your way out, it will actually help you to find your readings to guide us along with the church from now through Easter. It is a very simple way to order yourself in praising God, confessing to him, using somebody else's prayers to guide your prayers, and then taking some time to pray on your own. You could do this in 10 minutes or an hour every single day. It's really easy. It's a good way to start. Almost to the end of this little bit. Last thing is posture, place, and time. Posture, place, and time for prayer matters. Because you matter, your body matters, your time matters, where you are matters because God cares about you. But your posture, place, and time can change based on who you are. Jesus prayed in a number of different places. There's no place in the Bible where it says you must close your eyes when you pray. Where I find my prayers happen most often is either driving in the car with music playing or sitting in a chair with my eyes open on my patio. You may need to be in a closet on your knees. You may need to go for a walk. God wants to meet you where you are. That's the idea. Don't over-spiritualize prayer. Talk with God, just like you're talking with somebody else, alone, in a small group, here at church. You actually can't do prayer wrong unless you don't do it. C.S. Lewis writes that great fantasy called The Screwtape Letters in which a senior devil is instructing a junior devil on how to tempt a human Christian. And the senior devil says this, the best thing where, where it is possible is to keep the patient from the serious intention in, of praying altogether. Whenever they are headed to God himself, we are defeated. But there are ways of preventing him from doing so. The simplest is to turn their gaze away from him towards themselves. Be bold and persistent in your prayers. Secondly, in prayer, prayer is dependent and trusting. Prayer cultivates dependence and humility, which is necessary for faith at all. Jesus tells the little parable in the end of this section, verses 11 through 13, if a boy comes to his father asking for an egg or for fish, the father doesn't give him a serpent. Basically, a kid comes to his parent and he's hungry, and the dad doesn't give him something that's going to kill him. We get that. And Jesus is saying, <clears throat> the same is true with your father. One preacher talks about an analogy like this. In the middle of the night, who can go and wake up the king and ask for a glass of water? If the guard at the castle gate walks up through the castle, knocks on the king's door and says, hey, king, I'm kind of thirsty down here. Can you get me a glass of water? He's done for. But if the king's daughter knocks on his door and says, daddy, I'm thirsty, 
she has access. She's the only one who can do that in the middle of the night because she's a child who trusts her parent. She's not an employee who figures the relationship is somewhat tenuous. Many of us approach God like employees instead of like children. But recognizing that God wants to give us good gifts, going to him cultivates a dependence on God. Now, dependence on God is not that story that many of you have heard about the guy in the flood praying for a way to escape the flood, right? You know the story. You've heard it before. Floodwaters are rising. Guy starts praying, God, deliver me from the flood. A truck comes along. Get in, get in. The floodwaters are rising. No, 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 no. I'm praying to God. He'll deliver me. He has to go up to the second floor because the first floor is flooded with water a day later. And a boat comes along, right? The boat comes along and get in the boat. No, 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 I'm praying. God will deliver me. All right, the boat goes on. Finally, the waters fill up so high he has to get up on the roof of his house. A helicopter comes along and says, get in the helicopter, quick, we'll save you. No, 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 I'm praying God will deliver me. I trust God. I'm dependent on him. The floodwaters kill the man. He gets to heaven. God, why didn't you deliver me? Well, I sent a truck and a boat and a helicopter. What more did you want? Dependence on God is not an idiotic faith that sits back and waits for things to happen. And yet, dependence on God is a constant recognition that there's nothing you do or can do independent of God. You cannot guarantee your next breath or heartbeat. When you live with a constant awareness of that, it cultivates a prayer life of absolute and total humility. God does not help those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. That's an American autonomous understanding of God. Rather, we are in constant dependence on God for all good things. Prayer is dependent, and it's trusting and entrusting. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is basically desiring God's purposes for all creation more than your purposes for you. We live in a me-centric default setting where we're constantly asking for what I want, how I want it. When we begin to pray, what ends up happening is that our hearts begin to be shaped to desire what God desires for us and in this world. And so in the midst of dependence and trust, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, which is entrusting all of our worries to God. Now, what we tend to do is our brains start getting anxious when we're worrying about something in particular, and we're constantly thinking about the what if, what if, what if, what if, and our brain jumps from one thing to the next to the next until we're frantic about some anxious thought. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer is saying, hand that over to the Lord. Be open-handed with your kids, with your health, with your money, with your future. Lord, your will be done in my kid's life. Lord, your will be done in my career. And you trust it to him. You're trusting that what God gives and does is greater and better than you can imagine. 
And the reason that we can do that is because God is not a boss. He is a father. Prayer is bold. Prayer is dependent. But prayer is also relational and personal. Jesus talks about saying, our father, our father in heaven. He talks about a father giving good gifts to his son or a friend. Having God as father and friend was absolutely unique in that ancient Near Eastern culture. Now, Judaism did have an understanding of God as father, but they were very cautious with it. Jesus uniquely comes along and says, no, 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 go a little further than you're thinking. Don't just say God is the father of the nation. He birthed Israel. God is your father. He cares about you. He is very personal and wants you to know him personally. This is absolutely unique in in world religions as well. Islam is very, very cautious and careful to stay away from the personalization of God as father. He is a holy other being, creator, judge, but not father. Buddhism doesn't have an idea of a personal God. It's an impersonal nature of divinity of some sort that's not really divine. But father, no. Jesus comes along and says, God wants to be your father. And you cultivate that relationship with him through prayer. Dallas Willard, a theologian and writer, put it this way, what prayer presupposes is a personal interactive relationship between us and God, just as with a child to a parent or a friend to a friend. We are simply children walking and talking with our father at hand. Jesus wants us to experience the intimacy that he experienced with the Father. In John chapter 5, Jesus talks about, he says, I do nothing of my own accord, but only what I see my Father doing. He had such a relationship with God the Father that he lived out of a constant interaction with his Father, doing what his Father desired. And his prayer for the disciples in John 17 is, Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, may they also be in us. I want my disciples to experience what I experience. How do you experience the life and intimacy that Jesus did with the Father? It's actually through prayer. And I love that that Jesus, in his description here, uses friendship and family, a friend, a neighbor, a father, as a way for us to understand our relationship to God. Because I think friendship and family are a great way for us to sort of get a glimpse of what God wants to offer us in him and through prayer. Think about how friendship develops. Years ago, when I was assigned to a Young Life team in college, I was assigned with a guy that I didn't know and I didn't particularly like because I didn't know him. But over the course of two years, we spent at least twice a week, if not three times, driving 30 minutes north to Madison County High School and 30 minutes back down. And do you know what happens when you spend an hour, two hours, three hours, multiple times a week with a person? You sometimes begin to like them. This guy that I didn't know and didn't really care about became one of my closest friends. I began to understand what he liked and to even like what he liked, right? To the point where now, years later, still in friendship with him, I can pick up a book and think, oh, he'd like this book. Or I might even laugh at something thinking that he would laugh about it. So I'm I'm really laughing, projecting him laughing, right? 
When you pray and pray more and pray more, what happens is prayer shapes our heart to the heart of God. It increases our love for others and our desire for his purposes in this world and in our life, not just our own purposes. Family and friendship is a great metaphor for understanding that prayer relationship. You know, when Sarah and I, my wife Sarah and I, were first dating, I couldn't stop spending time with her, talking to her. We were in college at the time, and it's possible I skipped a class or two to spend time with her. Now, she might have skipped a class or two to spend time with me. I can't remember which way it was, but we couldn't stop spending time together. Over 20 years later, that relationship still exists along those same lines. We are constantly calling, talking, texting, spending time with one another, sharing what's happened, what will happen, worries, excitements, things going on. It's just recognizing I'm not alone in this world that I have somebody I'm sharing it with, and so there's constant communication. That's actually what marriage is supposed to have, a constant open communication. Good friendships have constant open communication. Prayer can be constant open communication with God. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, pray without ceasing. I've experienced that in the midst of taking my thoughts. Do you know that your brain is always moving until you're asleep, and then even then it's moving, you just don't think about it? But right now your brain is thinking, and it's thinking about other things while you're hearing me. You're able to process what I'm talking about while thinking about all the other things you want to do, where you want to eat after this, when is this sermon going to be done? What I'm suggesting is prayer. What I came to realize in that idea of pray without ceasing is not that for 24 hours a day I need to be on my knees praying, but rather... I invite God into my thought life, that he is a constant companion, the one I'm conversing with. The way that we most often do it psychologically is I am conversing with me about me. Pray without ceasing is I am thinking about me, but with God, (laughs) not just with me. Dallas Willard, again, said this, The most adequate description of prayer is simply talking to God about what we are doing together. Prayer is sharing with God my concerns about about what he too is concerned about in my life, and of course he is concerned about my concerns, and in particular, that my concerns should coincide with his. In prayer, your heart and God's heart are being aligned through presence together. You with him, he with you. Your heart's desires being laid bare before him and his purposes shaping your heart's desires. You know, I love that in this passage, Jesus tells us that our Father wants us to pray. God wants a relationship with us is what this is telling us. If you've never experienced the relational depth that God offers you, through his son, Jesus Christ. He offers it very simply. The basic story is this. You you hear it in Luke chapter 15 that we're going to get to in January when Jesus talks about the prodigal son, that a son is alienated from his father, runs away, distances himself, and comes back, but the father is there waiting for him. 
The son who has broken all the rules and rejected his father like we have with God is welcomed with open arms by the grace of his father. Now the son comes in saying, I know what I need to do. I need to pay back my dad. He has this speech prepared, treat me like one of your hired servants. But the father will have none of it. You are my son. You will never be a hired servant. And he welcomes him in. Many of us struggle with that because we relate to God like hired servants instead of like sons. But Galatians 4 puts it very clearly that we are children of God because of Jesus. It says it like this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons or daughters. And because you are sons, because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son, Jesus, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You've got to realize that you are a son and not a hired hand. And until you do, your prayers will be cold, rote, and feel obligatory. It's the difference between relating to God like a tenant or a family member. You know, many of you have been tenants or are tenants now, and the way that works is you pay rent, right? You pay rent, you do your version of upkeep, and then the landlord, the owner of the building, is supposed to do his version. The result is this. If something breaks, you can go to the landlord. Hey, the the plumbing needs to be fixed. Hey, this electrical socket doesn't work. You've paid, you've paid your bill on time. He owes you to keep the upkeep of the building so that it works, right? Right? In a family, it's very different. Your kids live in your house, your 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old kid live in your house because they are family. They don't stay because they pay rent. You try to get them to do their side of the job, and they, they usually don't. And they stay because they are family. And they ask for something like a pillow or some food. And you don't say, oh, that'll be $9.95. I have thought about it, but my kids are older now, so you can do that when they're older, I think. Don't go to the God on the basis of being a tenant. You've paid, he owes you. You will never have paid enough. Go resting in your place as a child. You know, it's interesting the way Jesus ends this whole passage. In verse 13, he says, pray and your Father will give you the Holy... How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now, the funny thing about this whole passage or the ending with this is this doesn't seem to be what what the disciples are asking about. The disciples are asking, how do we pray? And then Jesus seems to be talking about the sort of things we want to ask about, like, our Father who art in heaven, give us bread, right? Like, Lord, I want a job. I need some bread. Or deliver us from evil. God, keep me from injuries, right? Those are the sorts of prayers we like to pray. And Jesus says, yes, pray those prayers and God will give you the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is what you really need is the Holy Spirit. But what is the Holy Spirit? It is God. It is God with and in you. It is God present with you. What you really need more than anything is God. 
And if you go back and listen to a couple of testimonies that have been given at our church, which we call a God in life, they're online, two people who have experienced cancer in our church talked about this, talked about having a knowledge about God, like I know about God, but not experiencing God, not really knowing Him like a friend or a father or a spouse. So one guy said, I prayed, God, reveal yourself. I want your presence. Help me to experience you. Both of them experienced God and said that was far greater than anything else they could have asked for. It may be hard to believe, but what we need most is actually found in prayer itself. It's God. If I have God, God in me, God with me, I have all I need. Let's pray. God, for many of us, prayer is a difficult and guilt-inducing thing because we think of ourselves as tenants, as employees, and not as sons and daughters. Give us the grace to rest in our adoption as children, to come to you as kids needing some food and experience your warm and loving embrace. In Jesus' name, amen.